0: Here's the weird thing about how the brain works. If your brain spends too much time focused just on the outcome, it's actually demotivating. Because your brain is just not that good at telling the difference between what's happening and what you're imagining is happening. So if you spend your whole time visualizing hitting your quota or buying a house or whatever, at a certain point your brain goes, well done. I, I, it feels like you've actually got this and you lose some of your motivation. it's it's bizarre but powerful and really what motivates you is understanding the worthy goal understanding where you want to get to seeing where you are now and then going what's the gap and what's the work required to close the gap and um you know when we go through the exercises of drafting the worthy goal the second draft i always ask people to write an active second draft start it with a verb because when you start it with a verb, you're committing to the work, you're not committing to the outcome. And this whole idea of going, look, just find your way to goal, but then know that the magic happens when you start doing the
1: work to try and get there. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Michael Bungay-Stanier. Michael is a multiple-time best-selling author, Among the books he's written include what I consider the single best book on coaching that you could read. It's titled The Coaching Habit. Recommended it often on this show. And I really recommend his most recent book, which we're going to talk about today, which is titled How to Begin. Start doing something that matters. In our conversation today, we are talking about how we can all unlock our greatness. In other words, become the very best version of ourselves by working on hard things. In the sales world, doing hard things means to define your goals as something more than quota, something more than just hitting a number. Things that you can achieve that will animate, inspire, and motivate you to go to even higher levels. Now, Michael shares his framework for identifying that's something that matters, that will be hard to achieve. It starts with creating a worthy goal for yourself that is thrilling, important, and daunting. And Michael shares what each of those means relative to achieving your goal. And in this case, when we talk about worthy goals, it's less about an abstract definition of worthiness and more about whether this thing you're committing yourself to is worthy enough for you to invest your time and your attention and your resources to achieving it. So, we cover a lot of ground in this conversation. Be sure you stick around until the end. But before we get to Michael, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's jump into it. Michael, welcome to the show.
0: Andy, it's so nice to talk to you again. I'm happy to be back.
1: Yeah, well I should have said, welcome back to the show. This is uh exactly. third appearance, fourth appearance, I think. I so-
0: I don't know. Every moment with you is this kind of glory of ecstasy and they all kind of <laughs> like I can't even keep track of them. It's all a bit overwhelming for me.
1: That's what everybody says. It's a glory of ecstasy. I'll have to write that down as my uh, put that in my LinkedIn profile.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll put it on a t shirt. What's that? Mandy Paul. I provide a glory of ecstasy. I <laughs> provide
1: I'm doing that. Let's see. That will be my nice. Well, it's funny. You know, somebody wrote this great uh, review for my podcast, which I love. Which was, uh, "I'm delightfully disagreeable." <laughs> I love that, right? Yeah, because you really-
0: don't want it to be the other way around. Because if you're disagreeably delightful, <laughs> yes. you're like that. That actually that, that ends up on the negative. But delightfully yeah. disagreeable ends up on the upside.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was meant as a compliment, I think. So that's um, good. Well, anyway, well, we're glad to have you back, because uh, people listen to the show know, I'm a huge fan of uh, one of your earlier books, The Coaching Habit, which I still think, <laughs> bar none, the best book about coaching. Thanks, actually, Andy. as I told you, I think it's actually a really good sales book, too, because if you follow your methodology, your questioning methodology... Yeah. It's what you want to do with customers.
0: Well, it's the, uh, the principle behind it, of course, is can you just stay curious a little bit longer and can yep. you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Right. And, you know, forget that. I mean, the tactics are fine and there's good questions in the coaching habit book. But, you know, if you want a better relationship with somebody, <laughs> staying mm-hmm. curious a little bit longer, rushing to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly is not a bad way to do it. And that's true in sales as well.
1: Oh, uh, It's true. As you said, in, in almost every level of life. Yeah. I mean I yeah in in my book, Sell Without Selling Out, you know, I have this description of what selling in is, contrasting with selling out, selling in is, you know, you listen to understand what are the most important things to your buyers and then help them get that. And I was right. telling someone the other day, I says, Well, you wanna have a better relationship with your partner or your spouse? Listen <laughs> to understand the things that are most important to them, and help I them know. get that. You want to have a better relationship with co- collab, yeah, uh, colleagues at work. Same, exactly. it's the same formula.
0: It is indeed. It um, you know, if you want to get philosophical about it, sure. Um, I, the the philosopher Martin Buber, B U uh, B U R, I think, or B U B E R. Mm-hmm. He he talks about two types of relationships: I it relationships and I thou relationships. And I-it relationships are kind of the transactional ones where you mm-hmm. slightly lose sight of the other person's humanity right. and you're kind of focused on on you. And I-thou relationships, which kind of sounds fancy, but it's kind of profound, I think, which is more around the, this is a relationship where I, I kind of fully see you as a human being. Right. And it's less about the transaction. and It's less about what I can get from you or you can get from me. It's a presence to each other. And transaction can still happen, but... Uh, and I know I sound all, so all woo-woo when I say this, but it's that idea of being in a more human conversation with the other person right. is rewarding.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's certainly the focus of the coaching habit, focus of my book as well. is, Because okay. is, I set that out I say, you know, we have this, this conundrum that exists in the sales world is we do a great job of training humans how to be sellers, but we completely ignore... Training sellers how to be human.
0: That's so good. Now, yeah. We're gonna to have to stop this, Andy, because you have a reputation for being delightfully disagreeable. And at the <laughs> moment, we're just violently agreeing with each other on everything. So we need to we need to introduce a little bit of conflict.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to on this one because <laughs> we're gonna talk about your most recent book. Yeah, How to Begin. Start doing something that matters and uh, yeah. As I told you before, I just—it's such a great book, (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, read it, and now I'm going to go back through and actually use it as you, you know, set out, and you've got all these ways to to implement the things you recommend. Yeah, yeah, useful book in so many dimensions, and and for people in our audience, you know, primarily a sales audience, it there's a lot in there for you as well. So, let's just start at the top, sort of the impetus to write this book.
0: Yeah. You know, so The Coaching Habit came out in 2016. And then in 2020, uh, um, I'm going to call it a companion book almost, The Advice mm-hmm. Trap uh, right. came out. And it was, uh, it kind of went deeper on some things. It went deeper in particular around the, you know, why is it so hard if I know in theory I should be staying curious, <laughs> to mm-hmm. stay curious? What What is it that takes me into the giving advice even though I kind of know better? And that's where I introduced the idea of your advice monster and how do you tame your advice monster. Um, The advice monster being an embodiment and a metaphor for a kind of a deeper level of change that's required. It's not Mm -hmm. just learning a question. It's taming your advice monster. And I wrote that book and I was like, I still have something I'm trying to say around what does it take to shift your behavior? Because the reason that people listen to podcasts like this is it's not just to listen to your sonorous voice, although that's part of it. Um, and it's not just to pick up kind of tactics around how to be a better salesperson. It's to shift your behavior so that right. you're actually more effective and more efficient and happier in the work that you do. Right. And changing behavior is just so hard. <laughs> it is just different. It doesn't matter if you've read James Clear Atomic Habits or whatever else. Yeah. It's like, it's It's tricky. It is. And, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take another crack at trying to do what I strive to do in my books, which is to take hard topics and try and make them feel accessible and doable and practical for people. And I started writing it and honestly my first draft was even worse than most first drafts normally are. It was a disaster. I gave it to my friend Misha to to kind of give me feedback on. And, you know, two hours later he called me up and went, I've I've looked through the first 60 pages of your book. I don't even know what it's about. It's mm. just not very good, is it? And I was like, damn it. I think that's true. It's probably true. So right. I'm picking through the rubble of the first draft, and there's one phrase that I'd written that felt like it was rescuable, and it is this. We unlock our greatness by working on the hard things. Yeah. I'm like, "I love that. that That feels true for me, and it feels true for people I've coached and worked with mm-hmm. and just who I know where when you're working on the right difficult thing the next best version of you has to show up to take right. to, to take it on it it's your your growth stops being incremental like it is most of the time and there's a leap to the to you 2.0 right so then yeah, i'm asking
1: gonna, go ahead i'm sorry
0: well, well then, then i was just asking myself so how do you figure out what the hard things are to work on mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to work on any old hard thing you want to work on the right hard thing and To my surprise, really, I ended up thinking about goals and goal setting. And I had this moment. I was just sitting over there writing it and just went, I really don't like smart goals (laughs) as (laughs) a tool. I really... I mean, first of all, I can't even remember what the SMART stands for. I mean, no. I can approximately
1: do M it. measurable. That's all I remember. Well,
0: yeah. I, I've, I've now seen a list where there's like four or five credible options for each one of the five letters in SMART. <laughs> and when you ask people what is a SMART goal, they, they kind of look up to the ceiling and they're like, specific maybe? And, and yeah. you know, there's all sorts of guesses around it. But the real thing about SMART goals that kind of is the nail in the coffin for me is, it's all about tidying up. It's all about neatening up. It's all about making them measurable and containable and well behaved. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the right goal, it doesn't matter how smart you make it. You're still polishing a turd. Right. So I'm like, how do you find the right goal for you? And that's what opened up this whole concept of, of setting a worthy goal, which I know we'll talk more about. Right. Right. Thrilling, important and daunting. But behind that, is how do you reclaim ambition for yourself, and mm-hmm. for the world, and then behind that, I think kind of at the, the the fundamental level, of the book is how do you unlock your greatness by working on the hard things. Right.
1: Well, and so a question I was reading that was was because I think some people look at this and think, oh, well, this is you know, not applicable to me because yeah, this is about if I want to go off and do my own thing, but I, it it applies as well to people who doing things within the confines of a of a job. For yeah, like sure. a sales, like a sales job, right? I mean, it's oh, for, sure. for me defining defining your goal as something more worthy than hitting quota, for instance. You know, something that will animate and inspire you.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I know many of the people listening to this work as part of a bigger organization, and to be blunt about it, I think organizations, institutions, just have a tendency to dehumanize mm-hmm. who you are because because they're, they're a system, and systems are trying to get an outcome, and systems aren't that interested in you and your individual feelings they're just kind of a they're, they're like we're a process, right, and we're trying to get somewhere, and it's bigger than all of us <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's an act of rebellion (laughs) it's a it's being a force for change when you say i'm trying to maintain the humanity of myself and those around me when i do the work right and that's partly why i do coaching and have championed that for so many years because i think coaching is one of the ways of creating that i Thou relationship not the Mm -hmm. i it relationship that an an organization will 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 uh, tend towards trend towards um and I'm like, it it, it is absolutely true that, that this whole concept of a worthy goal kind of fits life. You know, we all have these crossroads. Maybe you're in your 50s and you're like, okay, I'm at my peak career, but what's my legacy? What's the next, mm-hmm. what's the second mountain? Maybe you're in your 30s and you're in that kind of midlife. What am I doing? And how did I get here? And is this the life mm-hmm. I actually wanted? Maybe mm-hmm. you're in your 20s and you're just out of school and you're thinking to yourself, what what is my path? And what do I... What do I start to explore? But it's definitely uh, usable because we've got organizations who are using this as a tool, as a way of going, how do you come back to what matters to you and for you in the context of your organization so that you're not overwhelmed by a 1,000 OKRs, but you've got a real sense of what your worthy goal might be?
1: Right. No, I love that. I mean, again, obviously... Aligned with what I'd written in my book as well. Is, yeah, how do you bring the humanity back to sales? How do you find it within an organization? As you write about, so how in that context is is talk about how do you find and identify your worthy goal?
0: Yeah, well, I think it starts by understanding what makes up a worthy goal, and I think you want to realize that it has three attributes, and you need all three of these attributes. So I'll go through those one by one. Number one, thrilling. And by thrilling I mean do you care about it? Does it light mm-hmm. you up? Does it matter to you? Because well, let's face it, we we've all got we've all had a history of inheriting goals in our organizational life where we're like, <laughs> couldn't be less thrilling if right. you know, you couldn't pay me to make this less thrilling. It is pretty unthrilling. So it's like how do you find the thing that makes you go? That would be pretty cool. I'd be pretty excited to do that. That mm-hmm. feels like it speaks to who I am and what my skills are, and who I want to be and how I want to be remembered. So that kind of personal start with who you are, what likes you are. That's well, I, I,
1: the, Yeah, and the thing that I like when you said in the book about it is that thrilling is a countermeasure countermeasure against a sense of obligation. And yeah. and obviously that speaks to me again, <laughs> one, because again, subtitle one: a guide to success on your own terms. This is this is right. so important for people.
0: Right, you know that there's, there's a tension that we all sit with. Is what's my obligation to the the bigger whole of mm-hmm. the of the place you're playing in and you're employed by or you're part of, and what's your obligation to your own sense of freedom and right. your own sense of responsibility, and it's a balance. And we all know people who are a little too <laughs> individualistic. I do whatever the hell I want, and I'll try, mm-hmm. I don't care about the rest of you. But I think the bigger the bigger challenge is going too many people going, I'm giving up what I've got to do stuff, not on my own terms, but just to, to fall in line. Right. But that's, that's, you know, if thrilling is about you, then important is actually where you go. It can't just be about me. It has to be about the context I'm in, the people I serve, the institution I'm part of. So there's a line from a, a writer called Jacqueline Novogratz, her, her book is called um, A Manifesto for a Moral Revolution. She's mm-hmm. super fascinating. She founded a non-profit venture capitalist firm, basically. She's got a great TED talk on this as well. So if you look up Jacqueline Novogratz on TED, you'll, you'll find right. her. And she has a line from that book where she says, what if we could give more to the world than we take? Right. And I just, honestly, Paul, uh, Andy, there's just part of me where it goes, I want that for my planet. <laughs> I mm-hmm. want more people giving more than they can take just in the stuff that they do. Right. Because the planet needs that. We need that help. We need that that contribution. So really important is saying, what's the bigger game that's being played? For the sake of what are you doing this work?
1: Right. And it's as you said, connects to something bigger than yourself. And you know, like your phrases about countermeasures, this was a countermeasure against selfishness.
0: Right, exactly. And self-indulgence. Right. So what's immediately interesting is that these attributes are not additive. They're in tension with each other. There's a tension between thrilling and important, and you're, mm-hmm. you're looking to manage that tension. And then the third leg of the stool is daunting. So daunting is how do I grow? How does this take me to the edge of who I am? You know that saying, we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not by winning. <laughs> it's by working on the hard things. And so mm-hmm. the daunting is the work that's needed where you step out to your edge and you're like, look, I'm pretty accomplished and I'm okay. My talents and I know some stuff, but this is making me sweat a little bit. And it's scary. not just because it's summer and it's hot and sweaty. It's like, I, it's scary. It's the edge right? of my competence and my confidence and my sense of self. And, of course, that's where the learning happens. That, that being in that place of, as they say, conscious incompetence, so mm. uncomfortable, and where growth happens. So right. daunting is an invitation to, to go there. And then your goal is to optimize the balance between thrilling and important and daunting to find the most compelling, worthy goal that you can for you.
1: Well, and you say that you're, you write in the book that your worthy goal must be worth your life. So explain what you meant by that.
0: Well, I'm. Um, I'll start with my spiritual position, which is I'm an atheist. So mm-hmm. I go, look, you get you get one short blip of light, <laughs> right. and that's it, and it is um, nothing short of miraculous that we are human beings on this planet right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I get this from. Right. Um, uh, Bill Bryson. Some people mm. will know Bill Bryson as a yeah. writer. He's best known as a travel writer. That's where he kind of really built his reputation. And
1: writing he's, about he's, being in the kitchen of the restaurant, yeah.
0: Exactly. So being at home and being in the kitchen and stuff. He wrote a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything, which was his his attempt, successful attempt, I think, to make science cool. It's like science gets killed in high school. We all endure chemistry right. and physics and like most of us are like, I never want to sit, talk about that ever again. So he just tells these great stories about – planet and the scientists around that and that's just one example about just how unlikely it is that you and i would be having this conversation today right we have a we have a really big moon like an unnaturally big moon if you look at all the other moons in our solar system they're all tiny compared to the planets that they circle whereas our moon is substantial Mm-hmm. And, you know, they think it's because a, a planetoid the size of Mars hit early Earth and right, threw a bunch political. of stuff up in and it all kind right. of glommed together and we still so got a big moon. So everyone's like, well, that's nice. You get a, it's romantic. <laughs> it's full moon and all of that. But so what? Who cares? Well, here's the thing the full moon means that our, our north south pole, magnetic pole, is stable. Because of it moving around the planet, it keeps that in a sta- in a stable mm-hmm. axis. Right. So again, you may go, well, that's delightful. But again, who cares? It means that compasses work, but really. <laughs> but here's the thing. If we didn't have a stable magnetic pole, we wouldn't have seasons. And if we didn't have seasons, we wouldn't be able to have civilization. We wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to cultivate food. So if we didn't have civilization, we wouldn't have podcasts. <laughs> and who knows where I we'd be? Know. Yeah. So, I just think, um, you know, it's. We're, I'm, I just feel pretty lucky to be conscious, to be alive, to be living this life. I just want to. I just want to make it count. I want it. I want to squeeze it for what it's got.
1: Right. Well, I think it's. A, I mean, I love the phrase because I think that's <clears throat> exactly true. Is and it gets back to this idea about if you're not working on something that's sort of worthy, is yeah, yeah, you're just sort of checking the boxes day by day by day, and that's a choice you're making. It doesn't have to be that way.
0: Can I ask you a question, Andy? Sure. You know, from your last book, which I loved this idea of doing the work on your own terms, Mm -hmm. what have you learned about what it takes to do work on your own terms? Because this is the perpetual dilemma, which we talked about already, which is like, what's my obligation to the institution and what's my obligation to myself? How do you help people find that and navigate that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I mean, it's for me. It starts with the willingness to accept accountability, right? That if you're going to do something that's that's slightly out of the norm, that yeah. makes management uncomfortable, <laughs> what are you prepared to accept in terms of performing? I bet. right? Yeah. And and you you touch on some of these themes in the book about experimentation sure. and so on, and yeah, and yeah. I, part of the reason I wrote the book is I've seen this trend toward, yeah. Compliance, right? is is, Let's make everybody comply to a certain way of doing things, Mm -hmm. which inhibits people from finding and developing the best version of themselves, right? Right. So if you're going to take that risk, then accountability comes with it. And so it's really powerful. Yeah. Are you going to, you know, in the way that, and you talk about how to experiment small steps and so on, which, you know, I think is is fantastic because, yeah, I'm a huge, um, a follower of, of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And right. uh, he said, all life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better.
0: That's right. And that's right.
1: for me, that's what it's been throughout my entire career is, is starting a job in sales that I didn't really feel like I was part of. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly didn't align with who I was. And I had managers that were willing to give me enough rope to hang myself. Um, yeah. but also or, the or do macrame. Yeah, or do <laughs> Or or yeah, you know, go out and find a way that was gonna work for me. Yeah, yeah. That's and so nice. yeah, I always thought said, oh geez, I could sort of work for the job, work mm-hmm. for sales, or I could make sales work for me. Yeah. And I determined and learned pretty early on I was gonna have to make sales work for me. And ultimate team player, <clears throat> but it's just a different approach. And yeah. You know, Never disruptive, but and respectful, but yeah, multiple times throughout my career, as yeah, uh, bosses might be a little frustrated <laughs> that I just didn't <laughs> jump to right, right. But the was, there, was there was
0: there a moment where that intention manifested itself, where you're like, this this is my first act of making sales work for me, you know, because that's a moment of courage, right, where you step up yeah. and you're like, I'm I'm going to step forward rather than step back.
1: Yeah, it, it there were several instances, even the first couple of years of my job. The first mm-hmm. couple of years of professional selling right out of school um, where, yeah, I could have gone down one path and chose to go down another. And yeah. it wasn't the way that was prescribed. I mean, it's, for example was in the first job for, we had this training period we came on, we were supposed to sell I don't know, 20 units of this particular product. Mm-hmm. And um, before we'd be certified to go to get trained on more complex computer equipment. And and I looked at it and first of all, I hated cold calling. <laughs> yeah. uh, we were out in the field doing physical cold calls, you know, oh, 30, 40 gosh. calls a day. Did not yeah. like it. And I thought, well, hmm, there's another way to do this is we actually have a model of this product that if I sold two of them, I would fulfill my commitment. So instead of selling 20, I'd sell two. Right. And it required me to go home on a weekend and learn how to program this thing. It was programmed in hexadecimal, you know, like assembly language. Uh, but I taught myself how to do it and said, okay, I'm going to focus on trying to sell this to people that, you know, right. I can provide the service to as little software applications that are in for like receivables and, and yeah. payroll. And I did. And so, you know, everybody else was out still slogging trying to sell their 20 units. Yeah. And I, I sold two when I was done. Nice.
0: Let me ask you this. Because I, I, I I've, I've got a thing to talk about after sure. I hear your answer to it. But I understand what the, the prize was of you finding that shortcut, that kind of smarter way of doing it. But what was at risk? Did you have a sense of what, how it might go wrong?
1: Oh, yeah, because it was, it was when you sell – fewer things it's success is more binary right, <laughs> <Like> <laughs> right. i got a pipeline of prospects it was i was and it's so for me it really taught me this idea that if i had a if i was able to really qualify a prospect in a much more deep way than we mm. sort of told before then i was going to win right I, mean, I had this conviction that if i could Qualify them in a nice. certain way to make sure they what they want to do is they want to buy yeah yeah not a product like mine that they want to buy my <laughs> product <laughs> right then yeah I know I was increasing my odds of success and that that's you know stayed with me throughout my entire sales career where you know in situations where I was selling you know seven eight figure deals where yeah we didn't have a lot of pipeline we didn't have because no. we, there weren't that many customers for what we were selling in the world which right. uh, said to be better. And that was for me, this was like eye-opening. So early on, it was like I love that. Yeah, I can I can blaze my own path here. Um yeah. I've got a one different of, way of looking at things, yeah. and it worked.
0: One of the things that I teach in this new book, how to begin, um, it's the it's the middle section. Basically the book's in three sections. Mm-hmm. First is defining your worthy goal. Yep. And as well as the thrilling, important, daunting that we've already talked about, one of the key insights is it's better when you draft it. <laughs> the first yep. draft is not going to be as good as the second draft. It's not going to be as good as the third draft. Don't get seduced into thinking your first goal is the real goal.
1: And for, for people that are going to pick up the book and read it, is one of the great things about the book is you take people through the examples of what you've done for right. two specific worthy goals that you have and and your actual drafts. And it was, yeah, I mean, for me as a learner, that was fantastic to see that.
0: Oh, thank you. The, the 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 final section of the book is okay. Once you've figured out what your re- worthy goal really is, how do you cross the threshold and how do you get going? And Andy's kind of mm-hmm. talked about kind of experimentation as one one of the tactics there. But the middle section is the the is the kind of the deepest work, and what it asks you is to say, are you are you really committed to this worthy goal? There's one thing to come up with a worthy goal, but we've all come up with goals in the past and they've kind of got abandoned, left behind, Mm -hmm. and we're like, Mm -hmm. too hard, too difficult, too weird. What was I thinking? Too much champagne. You know, and we've kind of stepped away from it. And and this process asks you to ask one of the the foundational questions, which are, what are the prizes and punishments of this choice that I'm making? Mm -hmm. And when you have a worthy goal, you have two choices. You do it or you don't do it. It's all very star wars Yoda moment do it or or don't do it and what i think can be really powerful is asking the the questions that are normally a little bit in the shadows and one of them is if i said yes to this if i really said yes to this the 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 prizes are are relatively obvious but what are the punishments what's at risk can Mm -hmm. you really name what's at risk right that is often not articulated as boldly and as clearly as it
1: might be and yeah, then the you call flip those, side the, of the punishments of the status quo right
0: right yeah. and then the the flip side is that just what you're talking about Andy which is if you said no to doing a worthy goal you, you know you define it you see it you walk away from it and that's a valid choice mm-hmm. what are the prizes if you get of maintaining the status quo and it's kind of a weird flip on it's a bit of a head flip to try and get your head around this which is like what what are you what are you getting from the status quo right now and here's what exactly you maintain comfort and familiarity and status and predictability and expectations of yourself and expectations other people have of you there's reasons why we hesitate to take on these worthy goals because we're more, we find the status quo more comfortable than we realize. But the, the gravity of the mm-hmm. way things are right now pulls us in and pulls us back time and time again. Right. And what your story reminded me of is just you having a sense of, I've done some of that thinking and I'm prepared to make the bold commitment to see how it goes.
1: Yeah. And I, I, for me, to some degree, I felt like I didn't have a choice. Right. Right. Because as I talk about in the beginning of the book, when I went to my first sales training class for this this large company I went to work for at college, I was like, <laughs> I just look at the videos, the training videos, and go, what human being acts this way? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that was, that started right there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, that's not me. I can't, I can't act that way. I'm not going to act that way, um, even if I could. And so, unless I wanted this to be the shortest sales career in history, what was I going to do? <laughs>
0: I don't know. There have been some pretty short sales <laughs> careers in history. <laughs> well, I mean, you have, you'd have to be booking it to really kind of claim that trophy, but it'd be one of the shortest.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when it came back from that class and, and you carried back a, an evaluation from the course instructor. Yeah. And yeah, write about this in the book is, you know, their his recommendation was. Yeah, get rid of Andy. He's never gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's too analytical. You know, he's not right. like outgoing enough. All these things. It's like, yeah. Well,
0: yeah. Who's laughing now?
1: <laughs> well, it's not just who's laughing now, but it's like this idea that that yeah. again was clear to me fairly early in my career. Is like we all have our own way of navigating the world, right? Right. right. And this this notion that we can, which is sort of became an increasing popularity in the last 15, 20 years. It was like we can make everybody sort of a clone of somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have all this technology, you can listen to telephone calls and with customers yeah. and everybody can model behavior on John. John's the top guy. Everybody's talk like John. It's like, well, they can't. Yeah. Yeah. They can listen to John's calls a million times and they're never gonna be like John. Mm-hmm. Let them be the best version of themselves. Right. And that's the path forward for people. And that's that's yeah, you know, what I was trying to be is just, yeah. Yeah. honest with myself, the best version of me that I could be. And that wasn't going to be the same as everybody else or anybody else necessarily. And you, okay.
0: how, do you, how do you help people stay true to that? Because, you know, I mean, I know you started this whole podcast by going, I'm, I'm delightfully disagreeable, but obviously <laughs> we're just agreeing with each other a lot, but I'm curious to know how you, it's one thing for two guys on a podcast to go, you know, just be the best version of yourself don't right. be a clone. Don't you don't feel like you need to fit in, but find you know walk to the beat of your own drum. But but systems have a way of just squeezing people out who don't fit. So how do you how do you help people find a way to not lose that thread of who they are, but still have some success within a system?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a great question because it's it's really boils down to coaching, right? Mm. So when, when I was managing and growing sales teams, it, was, it wasn't about managing things and KPIs, it was about developing people. Yeah, And yeah. that was where I devoted a disproportionate amount of my time, is yeah. how can I help you become Yeah, you know, what you envision as the best version of yourself? right? Because, yeah, you're not necessarily going to be like everybody else. And so I think one thing that's missed as we come to this age of compliance is managers coaching to a process as opposed to coaching to the person to help the person as you described in the coaching habit. Yeah. Yeah. Learn how to become a, a curious, open-minded problem solver. Yeah. Yeah. That has, you know, a degree of self-sufficiency. And yeah, it's I'm not sure there's a real system necessarily as much yeah. as as managers have to take responsibility and sort of an individual level to be able to do that. And yeah, um, for me on a macro level, I'm just trying to influence that discussion, influence people to go down that that road.
0: There's, um, you know, my background, you could say, is in part around organizational change and organizational Mm -hmm. dynamics. And so I've thought about and read a fair bit about what does it take to make change happen. And one of the interesting conversations that always happens is, is it about fixing what's broken or is it about amplifying what's working? Mm -hmm. And the human brain is so drawn to trying to fix what's broken. Right. You know, and it's like, okay, this person's great across A, B, and C, but D, oh, she really sucks, and E, she's pretty mm. dodgy as well. We've got to get D and E up to up to scratch. And there is a, there is a, some truth in saying, look, you, you've got to get some of your skills up to a basic level. Sure. You can't be a disaster on D or E. But my, my bias is very much, and I've seen this research that backs this up, is to say, if you can figure out how to amplify the good mm-hmm. and go, this is what you are and who I see in you and the skills you have, how do we build what's required around your strengths and your skills, then magic happens. And it takes yeah. quite a lot of discipline and quite a lot of courage, I think, to be the manager or the person who says, that's how I'm, that's how I'm going to run things around here.
1: It does. Yeah, this this pressure to comply mm-hmm. exists at all levels, right? And there's a real fear factor among managers to say, Well, yeah, if I give this person, you know, the leeway, uh, to sort of develop themselves uniquely, everybody else is gonna want that. And what if they don't hit their quota? <laughs> right. It's like, Well yeah, uh, the
0: quota, uh, the, the yeah, quota not hitting
1: quota, yeah. not, hit, not hitting their quota anyway. So yeah. <laughs> what what do you have to lose? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this idea about the amplifying the parts of you is good. And you you refer to this in book too. it's like you're saying, you know, you may find the future you in the past you. Right. Right. If you go back and look at the historical you and, and you know, there's these elements that you want to amplify probably exist already. For sure. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of identifying what they are. And I think that's, you know, such a valuable exercise to go through with people is to say, okay, Let's look at what you've done. What are the things you've enjoyed? What are the things you've had success Mm. doing? Um, And, yeah, how do we do more of those?
0: Exactly. You know, there's um, interesting stuff written on human development, and uh, it's kind of like a series of S-curves. You know, Mm -hmm. you start off and you incrementally go up the slope and then you plateau at a certain point. And every time you hit that plateau, you've got to ask yourself, am I done? (laughs) <laughs> is this it or am I ready for the next leap? And sometimes this idea of strip back, get, strip you back to kind of your essentials, your skills, right. your strengths, and then go, right. What's the next version of that? Those, what's the next expression of those as you leap to the next level. Now, there's a great book by Whitney Johnson recently yeah. out what? called, um, smart, smart change, smart, yes, yeah, smart change. I think smart growth. Yeah. Um, and Wh- Whitney, on the show. Whitney Whitney's yeah. a great champion. Yes. I'm I'm taking some credit for that because I, <laughs> I know what Whitney's book was called before it. And I was like, that's a terrible title, Whitney. And I plucked up <laughs> the courage to tell her. I was like, you know, I, like, I caught her and her, her, her chief of ops, Amy, up and I went, okay, this is unsolicited feedback. So please ignore it. And, and if you hate it, please don't hate me. But i got to tell you, your book title is terrible. <laughs> You're not going to sell anything what about this as an idea? And she's like, I right. love it. So I get a little bit of credit for the, the title of that book.
1: Yeah, but she gets into the whole S-curve growth, Indeed. personal growth, uh, yeah, tying back to work with Clayton Christensen and so on. That's um, right. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great model. I, and you talk about this idea of, of process mm. as basically a learning tool, right? and yeah. and, and it's so often... On, on we talked about processes perceived as a way to as an instrument of control, where it really a process should be looked at as a way to learn. Uh, I don't know if you've read a book, the great book by um, Bradley Statz called "Never Stop Learning: How to Stay Relevant, Reinvent Yourself, and Thrive." And he's a professor at the University of North Carolina, yeah. and yeah, he talks about you know the role of process in learning.
0: Yeah, right? you know, you get
1: the feedback, you get the experiment, you get the results. Exactly. Yeah, it's not about compliance, it's about and compliance to a rigid process, it's about learning.
0: You know, one of the things that I, I knew I didn't know this before I wrote the book, but I kind of learned it again and learned it better the second time was to uncover how devious goal setting is to your brain, okay. or maybe how devious your brain is, right? Because you know, in the book, I spend the first third of the book going, get really clear on that worthy goal, you know, mm-hmm. go through these drafting exercises in this process. So you can say to yourself, I really feel I've got the best combination of thrilling and important and daunting for me. And then I say, now forget it. <laughs> I don't exactly say that, but here's the weird thing about how the brain works. If your brain spends too much time focused just on the outcome, mm-hmm. it's actually demotivating because your brain is just not that good at telling the difference between what's happening and what you're imagining is happening. So if you spend your whole time visualizing, hitting your quota or buying your house or whatever, at a certain point your brain goes, well done. It feels like you've actually got this and you lose some of your motivation. It's it's bizarre but powerful. And really what motivates you is understanding the worthy goal, understanding where you want to get to, seeing where you are now, and then going, what's the gap? Mm-mm. And what's the work required to close the gap? And um, you know, when we go through the exercises of drafting the worthy goal, the second draft, I always ask people to write an active second draft. Right. Start it with a verb. Right. Because when you start it with a verb, you're committing to the work. You're not committing mm-hmm. to the outcome. Come. Exactly. And this whole idea of going, look, just find your worthy goal, but then know that the magic happens when you start doing the work to try and get there.
1: And that work you know, we sort of touched on this before is, is yeah, certain small steps, right? The experimentation. Yeah. You talk about the scientific method, uh, you know, hypothesis, test, result, conclusion, new hypothesis. Right. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I use that as experimentation. I always remember reading this uh, abstract of the study by people at MIT about, you know, how do you adapt? Excuse me, successfully, successfully integrate change into a process. Yeah. Similar thing, right? Is is take one small thing. Practice it till you master it. Add a new, another small thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, it'd be
0: be nice if if doing this stuff was like getting an Uber. You know, you you open a you know enter an address into an app, and you just the map goes. This is how you're gonna get there. It's gonna take you 18 minutes, right? 19 minutes if you take the detour and get a coffee, and you just follow. You just go left, left, right, right, left, right. But it's not like that at all. It's more like you're 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 navigating a misty valley and you know there's a mountain on the other side and you think that's where you're getting to i'm trying to conjure up the lord of the rings here you know you're like there's snow-capped mountains and there's horses and there's orcs and you're trying to figure out the path and you just can't go in a straight line you have to take some small steps get to get to the next nearest destination pause reorient resee the landscape Mm -hmm. reset your goals and then figure out what the next burst is you want to keep moving but you want to do it in small steps
1: yeah, almost sort of like a OODA loop, right? That's so, right.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And I do have to call out the book. You were doing Lord of the Rings, but you do have a Princess Bride reference in there, which, <laughs> which is one of my favorite movies of all time. R.O.U.S.'s. I mean, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Fire Swamp and the Rodents of Unusual Size, all in there.
1: I think I've only seen that movie, maybe. And I'm being serious here, a hundred times.
0: Oh, so good. Did you see the Hollywood remake of it. So um you can cut this out of the podcast because a whole bunch of no, we'll people like okay, but um <laughs> there was a very short lived um uh streaming uh company that started and it had wow. all sorts of big names like Meg Whitman and other folks right. and they pumped in a billions oh, of yeah, dollars. The- Creepy and, or whatever that was, yeah. yeah. And it, and it and it imploded immediately. You know, yeah. after six weeks, they shut it down. It was incredible. But one of the things they did is they got people to reshoot the whole of The Princess Bride in COVID times, um, and you just have each person do a tiny little scene from it. So you'd have Jack Black... Mm. climbing the cliffs of insanity but he's (laughs) he's literally climbing up the steps to his pool holding onto a hose that somebody else is holding and then it would cut to another actor and then to another actor it is just a wonderful homage to to, to the Princess Bride
1: right, I'll have to check that out to see if it's still available (laughs) Uh,
0: inconceivable inconceivable
1: yeah so yeah yeah, I would apologize to people for this digression, but I digress all the time. So Excellent. Uh yeah, never never mind. Um Well, so gosh, we're we're sort of coming up on time. We could talk forever about that? this.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I mean
1: I I so many things I want to talk about. I want to talk about yeah, I love the the uh, you talk about don't put too much at risk with your experiments and you reference the progress principle, which I you yeah, know, great book and
0: I Teresa Remar work, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean I refer to that obliquely in in my book about you know, what constitutes value for a buyer. it's progress right? well, let me ask
0: you this Andy let because yeah. I, I I really appreciate you having read the book and being a fan of it. Um, what if anything was most surprising about the book for you? What were you not expecting?
1: What was I not expecting? yeah that's an interesting question um I don't know. I don't know. I had expectations in that regard. I mean, sort of came to it fresh when I was reading it and it was you just have such (laughs) as you always your writing makes my writing seem so inadequate. It is (laughs) is just, you know, this unique perspective you bring to things about it. It just makes so much sense. Um, Thank you. Which, so yeah, I don't know there's anything surprising about it. It was just, but it's one of these things And I encourage people listening to this to, to go out and get it because it's yeah, I can't wait to dive in and actually implement the the practices and exercises that you have in the book. Because, yeah, we've got in our my business we got a couple of things we're sort of aiming at, but aren't as well defined as they should be. Mm. And it was like, oh yeah, okay.
0: You know, it's, I had a I had a, a great email today from I subscribe to a guy called Tony Stubblebine's newsletter, and he writes a daily newsletter, and it's wonderful. He it's mm. all about kind of personal growth and development, and he reads very broadly and is well connected so he's always sharing up interesting stuff. And I got an email from him today saying I'm pausing this newsletter for a month because we're going through a relaunch and a reimagining of it because mm-hmm. I've been reading Michael Bungay Stanier's book How to Begin <laughs> and I'm setting a worthy goal and I'm like I'm going to come back to this with a new a new life to it and I was like that is so cool to see that yeah. and one of one of the things that I, I do love about this process is it just it disrupts a life that might be slightly too comfortable. Yeah because yeah. you know we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things and yep. at the same time, most of us, me included, try and set things up so you're not working on hard things. Cause they're like, I quite like not working on hard things. It's very comfortable to hang out on the sofa and, you know, metaphorically or literally Netflix and chill. So this idea that if you're, if you're up for it, if you feel like you're at a crossroads and you think to yourself, what's the thing for me that will make this life richer and deeper and harder and better Then maybe some of the process and how to begin might be helpful for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, don't know what you, I sort of look at life as a series of chapters in a book. And for me, it's every time i sort of starting a new chapter, it was it wasn't like I had a a really well-rounded worthy goal defined, but I do tend to go to things that require me to learn something new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and do something different. Sometimes even be a little daunting. Um, you know, I've talked about this before. A couple times in my earlier in my career when I was not working for myself but working for other people, is you know I chose bosses because they kind of frightened me <laughs> because I knew yeah. they were going to challenge uh, me to true. to be you know grow outside myself. Yeah. And so I don't know, maybe it's just sort of in me for some reason. As you know, I sort of gravitate to that. But I think it's to your point. it's yeah. It can be done, and yeah. it's what you should be looking for if you want to. Yeah, lead know, a more fulfilling life on multiple dimensions.
0: You know, there's, there's, a wh- for people who are thinking to themselves, Michael, Andy, I am already working really hard <laughs> and I'm already doing difficult things and I'm not sure I'm unlocking my greatness. I'm just kind of suffering a little bit. Um, and, and I, you know, I've had jobs where I've felt like that for sure. Um, one of the things that, I always ask myself is how is this a story? And what's the story telling me? And where's the where's the story going? And what's the lesson here? And what's what role am I playing? Am I the hero in the story? Am I the suffering damsel in distress? Am I the dragon? You know, what's going on in this archetypal story? And I find that this is kind of a coaching technique, I guess, which is like I'm constantly seeing I can pull myself out of the moment. I'm going, what is there to learn? about what's going on right now and who I am in this moment. Mm-hmm. And do I do I do I stick with it? Do I grow with this? Do I change this? But um so often when we're in in that moment where we're overwhelmed by the stress and the anxiety and the hardness of it but if you can find a little space to sit back and go where where's the story here? There might be something powerful there for people.
1: Yeah. Well, I just uh, to wrap it up, I mean, at the end of the book, you have a touching section about your dad, and I love the extract from the Roka poem, Thanks. Uh, which, which was, winning does not tempt him. His growth is to be the deeply defeated by ever greater things. Yeah. And I thought, wow, very cool.
0: It is cool. I love that line. I've got yeah. it... Um, I've got a little plaque of it. I'm, I've got a writing desk over there. I've got a little, a little frame thing that my publisher gave me saying, this, these are the lines. I'm like, keep, keep being brave enough to choose to be deeply defeated by ever greater things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love it. All right, Michael, as always, pleasure.
0: It has been a pleasure. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for chatting. Oh,
1: people want to connect with you? What's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah, um, look, the, the place to go for me in general, my website is mbs.works. And there's, you know, there's all sorts of avenues to newsletters and free courses and this, that, and the other. If people are interested in kind of the corporate offering for the coaching skills, boxofcrayons.com is the B2B learning and development company.
1: Got it. All right, Michael, thank you.
0: Andy, thank you very much.
1: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Michael Bungay-Stanier, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.